Okay, so who are the friendly people and who are the unfriendly people? Just raise your hand. I'll let you pick. Uh, first time in a church is always interesting. And so um, I love your pastor. Uh, we, we've developed a good friendship over the last three years. Um, I've been at our church for 20 years. Uh, we moved here from Canada in 2002. Uh, we started our church with 30 seniors. And God has just been so faithful. And so I'm Canadian, so you're going to hear it. Um, as I preach this morning, I can say out, I can say oot. If I work really hard, I think I can almost say out. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to say that word. Um, but I don't say oat. So, so just so you know, my wife is actually in Canada right now. Um, she has not seen her mom in three years. And so she went back um, last, a week ago, she went back to Canada. So she is on the far east coast of Canada in Nova Scotia. And so four-hour time difference, if you can, you know, that's far. So for us, when we moved, it was a 4,000-mile drive. Uh, we have three children. We've been married and in ministry for 36 years. Uh, we have a daughter and we have a, a, who's married. We have a, a second daughter who's married. And then we have our son and uh, and. I love my kids, and I really love my wife. Uh, did you notice in the psalm, the reading this morning, that it begins kind of interesting. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. But the, our scripture reader this morning, he found it. He hit the nail on the head. Verse 5 your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountain of God. Your judgments are like the great deep, man and beast you save, O Lord. It's that verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. So if this morning, if you're wondering, what's the message about? There it is, there's that word. If you're wondering what the message concerns itself with, it is that God is faithful, and we need to respond to him in faithful obedience. All right? So say, well, what's the message about this morning? God is faithful, and we need to respond to him with faithful obedience. And so I'm going to do this in a kind of a, circular way. And so bear with me, but whenever you get lost, what's the message about? God is faithful, and our response should be faithful obedience. Exactly. So today's Mother's Day, and it's a day in which we honor mothers. I did not grow up in church. I came to Christ in my first year of university. I came out of a home completely, completely the opposite of anything you could ever imagine. I went to five different elementary schools. Uh, my father was a police officer until he uh, hurt his back, breaking up a domestic dispute. Uh, we moved around a lot because he did different things. He was a bouncer in a bar. Most of my childhood, I can remember, every holiday I was at the bar. Um, Christmas, I would be at the bar sitting on Santa's knee kind of thing. And so when I was eight, 
Um, he had both his arms broken at the elbow um, after work, and so he got into car sales, and he was a good car salesman. And, and what's interesting is that there was just a lot of everything in our home, but there was no presence of Christ. So I grew up not believing in God. I grew up hating anything to do with religion. As far as I was concerned, I had it way better than you guys because I was sleeping in right now and you guys had to be in church. I got into sports. Sports became my everything. It was moving around a lot. How did you make your mark? How did you fend off the bullies? And so sports was my everything, and I just poured myself into sports and sports and sports. And so it was in university, my first year, that one night my father came home and knocked on the door of my bedroom, 10 o'clock, November 1979, 10 o'clock at night, he comes home from his job as a car salesman, And he says, I've got something for you. He throws it at me, and it's a tiny little Gideon's New Testament. And I said, in colorful language, I said, this is a Bible. Where did you get a Bible? He says, somebody at work gave it to me. I don't want it. Stick it on your bookshelf. He closes the door. That night, at 10 o'clock at night, I turn on my light, and I read through the Gospel of Matthew. And I start reading through, and you start, you know, and, and so you're reading about, and I wasn't, I wasn't biblically illiterate, but I was biblically illiterate. So I knew about Adam and Eve, and I knew about Jesus, I knew he died on the cross, that was about it. So I'm reading through, and Jesus loves tax collectors. Okay. Jesus loves prostitutes. Okay. Jesus is Jesus. Okay. But I get to chapter 23, and all of a sudden, something happens. If you've ever read Matthew 23, and you, you'll need to look at it now, don't look at it right now, because I'll tell you what it says. All of a sudden, Jesus starts to go, woe to you. He starts talking about the religious leaders. And he starts going, woe to you, you, do you know what the word is? Woe to you, you hypocrites. All through Matthew 23, woe to you, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs. Whited sepulchers, as the, as the King James says. He calls them whitewashed tombs. In other words, they're, they're tombs, and they look nice on the outside, but they're death and decaying on the inside. Now understand, my mother's father and her brother ran a body shop. I grew up around a body shop from the time I was young. My father was a car salesman. And in Canada, there's a lot of salt on the roads. And if there's one thing I know about, it's what's called a paint-over. Do you know what a paint over is? It's when you take a car that's all rusty and you do a little bit of sanding and you put a little bit of Bondo in and you give it a nice fresh paint job and it looks fantastic until when? It, just about after the first winter, after the salt and just the rain and everything has hit it, all of a sudden everything, all what's under the surface comes out. And so Jesus is going, woe to you, you hypocrites. And and understand, what did I think? I thought all you people, it doesn't matter how nice you were, I thought you were all nothing but a bunch of what? Hypocrites. I want nothing to do with that. Because I I had no, I'd never met a real Christian. I, I had never been 
in an evangelical Bible teaching church. And all of a sudden that night, woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you hypocrites. All of a sudden, I said to myself, hold on here. Jesus and I are on the same team. I hate hypocrites. He hates hypocrites. And that night is when the Spirit of God did a work of grace in my heart and opened my eyes, and suddenly I said to myself, I wonder if there are people who are Christians the way Jesus says a Christian should be. And that began a search. I ended up in a, I'm going, I lived in a small town of a couple of thousand people. I ended up driving 30 minutes into the city uh, to a church that I heard a friend had started to attend. And crazy, I ended up just going Sunday nights because I was playing for three different volleyball clubs um, at the time. And I went in and I just watched people. And the next week, I invited everybody out for a beer after church. And they still were nice to me. And then the next week, I said, well, maybe if I swear a little bit. So after church, you know, Mike, how are you? I'm blankety blank fine. How are you guys? I did everything I could to make them say, people like you don't belong here. Get out of this church and never come back because church is for perfect people. And we're just a little more... I did everything, but they kept loving me. In fact, they did the worst thing possible. They'd say to me, well, no, no, we don't want to go out for a beer, but we're going over to Jeff's mom's house and she's made all this food. Would you like to come? And I love to eat. I never met a meal I didn't like. In fact, when Paul says in Corinthians, I buffet my body, I take that seriously. That's the word buffet, you know. Anyway. But this amazing love to someone who was intentionally trying not to be lovable. And I just kept, and finally, then someone sat me down, and I can remember for the first time hearing that you're not just born. You know, I was born in Canada. You were born in the U.S. Um, but, or, or maybe you were born in another country that is a Christian country. I thought if you were born in a Christian country, that made you Christian. Little did I realize that being born in Canada, being born in the U.S., doesn't mean you're automatically Christian. And for the first time in my life, I heard that you need to personally receive Jesus. You, you needed to come in faith to Christ. And the person who was, was sharing that with me was so nervous. It's like, Mike, do you know God loves you? Yes. Do you know that you're separated from God because of sin? Oh, do I? And he looked at me like... You were supposed to fight me on that one. And it's like, no, trust me. And then when he said that you need to personally receive Christ, it was like, oh, that actually makes sense. Do you know when I accepted Christ in March of 1980, started going to church in January of 1980, four Sunday nights in a row, when I accepted Christ, uh, it was, a, it was one of the most interesting things because, again, the, the light just kept coming on. And so this is why this morning, what's the message about? God is faithful, and we respond to him with what? Faithful obedience. Exactly. So since this morning is Mother's Day, there are passages I could preach on. 
Um, I could mention the godly woman of Proverbs 31. I could mention Matthew 1 and Luke 1, which talk of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I could preach on Exodus 20, which the Lord, where the Lord commands us to honor our mothers. And so now that I've mentioned those, I have done my Mother's Day duty. <laughs> but I do want to talk about moms, but I also want to talk about you. I want to talk about us. I want to talk about faithfulness. Not the faithfulness as you as a child on this day, even though I hope you're taking your mom out for lunch, and I hope you're going out for dinner, and I hope you've brought flowers and all those things. That There are so many people at Costco yesterday, and they're all buying flowers. And I remember the one guy saying, he said, look, just find the cheapest ones you can get. And so I hope that was not for his mom, but for someone else. But, but I want to talk about not your faithfulness. I want to talk about the faithfulness of Christ. I want to talk about the faithfulness of a God who never fails. Uh, see, I grew up in a very tumultuous home. I grew up in a home where I can remember Christmas 1971 where my mom came to my room and said, your dad's not coming home and we have to move. I can remember my dad coming back months later and the constant fighting in our home. I can remember the accusations. I can remember I've been going to church four Sunday nights in a row and my father called me into the family room and said, Michael, uh, your mom and I know she's been going to church. Why do you go? I said, I didn't know. I seriously did not know. He goes, well, we think religion is a waste of time. We forbid you to ever go back to church again. Now, understand, my father had been a, bouncer, been a police officer, been a bouncer in a bar. I looked at him one time and said, you know, Dad, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And he looked at me in his scotch brogue and said, no, 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 Michael. The smaller they are, the farther they fly. <sighs> And, and so my dad, when he said, no, you're not going back to church again, that was it. But it was that night that at 2 o'clock in the morning, a policeman rang the bell, and I went downstairs, and my mom was crying, and he said, there's, there's been a car accident, and that night my dad died in a car accident. It was a few weeks later when my mom said, are you going to keep going to church? And I said, yes, and she said, you need to move out. It was... 1984, when I told my mom that I was going to ask my wife Dawn to marry, to, if she'd like to be married. And my mom said, well, don't ever expect us to go to the wedding. None of my family, I was a persona non grata. Um, none of my family came to our wedding. It was my oldest daughter was over a year old before my mom would even come and see her. My wife would leave family gatherings where you've never been to a family gathering as a Christian until you've been to a Thorburn family gathering. You think you've been picked on? Oh. And Don would leave those going, I'm never going back. But we had to. We just had to. We just kept loving and loving and loving. And all of a sudden, everything changed. All the, it, was, it was interesting. See, God is a faithful God. And how do we respond? In faithful obedience. And so we have a faithful Christ. We have a God who never fails. We have a God who is always perfect. And so I tend to always want us not to focus on imperfect people. Imagine being a marriage counselor and someone comes to me and says, well, my spouse isn't this and my spouse isn't that. 
And I simply say to them, you're asking your spouse to be something that only Christ can be. See, we marry imperfect people. We are imperfect people. And sometimes we expect our parents to be perfect. We expect our children to be perfect. We expect our spouse to be perfect. But no, we're not perfect. But Christ is perfect. He will never fail. I will fail you. He's always there. I'm not always there. You're not always there. You're not always perfect. Christ and Christ alone. And so, so where do we go with this? If we're going to say God is faithful, and we're going to say that, he res- that we respond in faithful obedience, I want to take you into a few little points. Number one, why has God given us history in the Bible? You ever thought of that? Have you ever read First and Second Kings? You ever read First and Second Chronicles? Have you ever said to yourself, why are they there? They are almost identical. Have you ever said that to yourself? Well, it's because the writer has a purpose. The writer of Kings and the writer of Chronicles, two separate writers, they had different purposes, but they did want to say something. History in the Bible points to the sovereignty of God, the faithfulness of God. When God makes a promise, when we look at the history in the Bible, does God ever not make a promise? God ever make a promise he couldn't keep? No. And we see this in the history of the Bible. We also see people who are imperfect. And so I like to say to people, be very careful of making a person, a hero in the Bible. David, Moses, Daniel, should they be our heroes? Because Scripture shows them as flawed people. And if you take your eyes off of the God who is working in their life, you can quickly become a thinker that people help me more than God does. But people will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. You might have disappointed people in your life. We need to keep our, fix our eyes on Christ. And so here's what I said. The history of the Bible shows us, and this is not an exhaustive list. I just want to say that if you're looking at the historical books, if we were to go through all the books that talk about the history of Israel, the history of Judah, the history of kings, all that stuff, if we were to look at the Gospels and we look at the, uh, the apostles, if we look, let's, let's talk about Peter. Peter ever make a mistake? Judas? See, the history of the Bible shows us, and you can add to this if you want, but here are nine things. Number one, that God is all-powerful. Number two, that God's promises will always be fulfilled. Now listen to these ones. The history of the Bible shows us that good men can make bad decisions. Number four, that bad men can make good decisions. Number five, that good men can have evil children. But, number number six, that evil men can have good children. Do you see what I'm saying here? See what the history of the Bible shows? It shows a God who is perfect, a God who is faithful, but people are what? 
sometimes up, sometimes down. Notice number seven. The history of the Bible shows us that women can be just as evil and wicked and murderous as men. You got a name? I'll give you a name. Jezebel. And you know who was almost as worse? Was worse? Her, her daughter, Athaliah. We're going to talk about her in a minute. Number eight. The history of the Bible shows us that evil is not something external. It is something resident in the hearts of all men and women. This is why we need the faithfulness of God. This is why we sing, great is thy what? Faithfulness. Because we need our hearts to be transformed. We need to be regenerated. And that's why number nine, the history of the Bible shows us that apart from the common grace and the particular grace of God, all men and women are spiritually dead and under the certain wrath of God. We need God's faithfulness. We, we need a lot of things. We need food, we need water, we need a place to live. We need friendships, but what do we need more than anything? We need the grace of God to transform us. So that's number one. Number two, where do we see faithfulness in the Bible? And the easy answer, who wants to answer that? Where do we see the faithfulness of God in the Bible? You can't get it wrong. Anywhere, everywhere, exactly. But there's one book in particular I want to ask you to read, and that is Second Chronicles. Chronicles was one book, but when they translated it from Hebrew into Greek, it was so big that they had to split it in half. And so it became First and Second Chronicles. But it's really one book. But the entire book of Chronicles is on the faithfulness of God. God promised a Savior. God promised a Savior that would sit on the throne forever. And yet, if you read Chronicles, there's good kings and there's bad kings. There's times when Israel and Judah are doing okay, and there's times when they're like wretched. And yet, who is consistent all through Chronicles? The Lord. God is faithful. And, and so when I look at this, the book of Chronicles talks about the history of Israel around 1000 BC, but it was written 500 BC after they'd come back from captivity. The writer of Chronicles is saying to people who came back out of captivity and everything was bad and everything was broken and the temple was nothing like it used to be to people who had come out of COVID to people who have come out of disappointment today to people who have gone through some hardship the last few years to people who maybe didn't have the best life yet the writer of Chronicles is writing to them who came back out of captivity and he's writing to us and he's saying people are good one minute and what are they the next not so good. That friend you thought you could trust, not the best friend. That job you were promised, that check that was supposed to come in the mail, that good health report you thought you'd get. What the writer of Chronicles is saying is that life is up and down, but God, ready for it? You already know the answer. Life is up and down, but God is always faithful, faithful, 
So how should we respond? Faithful obedience. If you read through Chronicles, you're going to see good king, they'll use the word faithful. If it's a bad king, they'll say that he was unfaithful. The writer will say he was faithless. All through Chronicles, you'll see faithful, unfaithful. Faithful, unfaithful. Faithful to the word, unfaithful to the word. Faithful to God, faithless with respect to God. That's why I love 2 Chronicles. But, but there's one thing I want to show you. When I told my wife this is what I was doing on Mother's Day, she just, I could tell she was smiling even though she was in Nova Scotia. I said, I want to talk about Athaliah. When I talk about the faithfulness of God, 2 Chronicles 22, verses 10, 11, and 12. You can turn there. Because I want to show you the faithfulness of God. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, Ahaziah was a wicked king. Athaliah was the wife of Jehoram, a wicked king. She was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. She was the mother of Ahaziah, or Ahaziah. And now when Athaliah, this is 2 Chronicles 22, 10. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. Do you know what she's trying to do here? She's trying to do what Satan has been trying to do. Destroy every person in the godly line of David so that the Messiah can't come. So she, she destroys the whole royal family. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus, Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. That's just kind of like not the best mother in the world, wouldn't you say? Not a good grandmother, not a good mother. But, but do you see, though, what's the message about again? God is faithful. Here's a woman trying to kill all of the children in order to destroy the Messiah. What does that sound like? Sounds like Matthew chapter 2, doesn't it? Where the wise men come and King Herod says, tell me where the king has been born so I can worship him. And then what does Herod try to do? Kill all the children. But who is watching over the children? You, you look here and you might think it's people, but you know the answer, it's who? It's the God who is what? Faithful to his promises. If he promised that there would be a Messiah, there will be a Messiah. If he promised that you can have new life in Christ, if he promised that your sins can be forgiven, if he promised that he can bring joy out of disappointment, if he promised that he can transform your life, that he can heal, that he can, he can take a prodigal child, that he can take a wayward friend, if, he, if God has promised it, God is what? Faithful. So that's why number three this morning is this. Three Old Testament promises based on God's faithfulness. All from Psalms. First of all, Psalm 31. 
Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Notice that you can commit your life to God because he is faithful. Do you know where else was this said, into your hand I commit my spirit? On the cross. If the God of Christ, the Father of Jesus Christ, if Jesus could say to him, I commit to you my spirit, how could we do less? How can you not trust the God who is faithful? That's Psalm 31 verse 5. Um, Notice this, Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 33, verse 4. All his work is right. What's God doing in your life right now? Is he stretching you? Is Is he maybe pushing you out of your comfort zone? If God is faithful and all his work is done in faithfulness, I think of Romans 8.28, that all things, and it's actually, the words are singular, each thing works together. What's, what, what, what thing in your life right now is, is, is wearing on you? What thing in your life is overwhelming you? What thing are you saying, God, why in my life is this happening? Understand that the, that the Lord is upright. His word is upright. All his work is done in faithfulness. That what the Lord is doing in your life is not because of his lack of care, but because he is faithful and loving and good. One last Old Testament verse, Psalm 69. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Psalm 69, 13. Notice the word prayer there. Are you praying? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you looking for direction in your life? Are you looking for God to answer? Don't stop. Listen to what he says. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving, what? Faithfulness. God is faithful. Well, that's the Old Testament. Now let me give you three, my three final things. These are three New Testament promises based on God's faithfulness. Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So if God is a God of faithfulness, we respond to him with what? Faithful obedience. Hebrews 10.23 says it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Are you, are you, are you, is the weight of temptation, is your struggle to overcome, is it wearing down on you? Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But then what's the next phrase? God is faithful. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, we are all, we are all tempted. We all, there's, there's nothing, you can't come to me and say, Mike, well, if you only knew what I was going through, you'd understand why I did that. No, there is no temptation that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful in his promises. God is faithful in your temptations to help you escape from it. 
But now notice this. Galatians 5, 22, 23. And this is where I'd like you all just to go like this, okay? You don't, just, okay? Was that a V8 commercial years ago? Or like, oh, I could have had a V8. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Where does, okay, gentleness, self-control, where does, where does the ability to live the Christian life come from? Notice that the fruit of the Spirit, notice that, that here's how salvation works. You are spiritually dead to sin. And, and, and what can a dead person do? Nothing. So the Spirit makes you alive. And the first thing the Spirit does is the Spirit regenerates you. So you are, you are born again. The Spirit, you are born again. Technically, it's anothen. It's, it's born from above. I like that translation much better. So the Spirit regenerates you, transforms you. And then the Spirit gives you the faith to believe. So, so, so hear me out. You are not born again because of your faith you are born again so that you might receive faith. And then your eyes are open and you can suddenly realize, I am a sinner and I need to repent and I need to come to Christ. See, this is the work of the Spirit. But then the Spirit, not only does he save you, but he equips you. And notice what the fruit of the Spirit is. That, see, like you're not left to live in your own strength. As Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this idea of faithful obedience, this is a gift of the Spirit. So we need to call out in grace, Lord, make me faithful. Lord, fill me more with your Spirit, with your presence. You know, the faithfulness of Jesus is for all those who love him. So how do we respond to the Lord when we live in a world where it seems that God has forgotten us? Faithful obedience. How do we receive this faith? Well, we, we call out to the Lord. And so we want a faith that comes from the Lord. We want a faith that produces faithfulness. We, under, we need to understand that faith produces obedience. We need to understand that faith produces true worship. You can't truly worship God if you don't trust God. You can't truly worship God unless you see him for who he is as perfect and holy and faithful and good. If the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, until we truly seek to glorify him through our faithful obedience, we'll never truly understand what it means to enjoy him. And so as we close, the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. Christ is faithful. I can't even say out properly. I'm flaky. You know, as I'm inconsistent. And I know that when I say I, you could probably agree with me. Because we're, we are, we are prone. The, you know, our hearts and, and just everything about us. And yet, we serve a great God who is faithful. So what was the message about this morning? God is faithful. And how do we respond? Faithful obedience. Confess. Okay, if we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful 
and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't want perfection. He wants genuine obedience. He doesn't want perfection. He wants confession. He doesn't want perfection. He wants a desire, a desire to live completely for him in every way. That's our God. He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. Your faithfulness to the skies. Uh, We've done a sweeping, just we've gone almost through the entire Bible this morning. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would see that one thing is consistent throughout your word. And that is that you are faithful. Your promises never fail. We can come to you at any moment, any time, because you are good, you are perfect, you are holy, but you also love us. Thank you that you love us. In your son's name we pray, amen. 